0: Hello, podcast listeners. This is Panel Camp of Washington University in St. Louis. Today we have a special edition of the podcast to share with you. Back in March of this year, we learned that Paula Vogel, the playwright, the teacher of playwriting, the winner of the Pulitzer Prize, and many other Awards had received her PhD in theater from Cornell University after decades of being at ABD status. And we wanted to know more about this. A couple of weeks ago when the three hosts were at uh, Atha in Chicago, Sarah Bae Jung had the opportunity to sit down with Sarah Warner of Cornell University, who, it turns out, was instrumental in bringing this story about. And Sarah, our Sarah, got the story from Sarah Warner, and we are happy to share it with you. I wanted to mention that this edition of the podcast is the first of a series that we hope to be able to bring to you in the future of one on one interviews with luminaries and interesting people to those of us in theater and performance studies. It does not replace the normal monthly three headed editions of On Tap. So this is a very special conversation and one that speaks for itself. And so now I will turn things over to Sarah and Sarah Warner.
1: Hello and welcome On Tap podcast listeners. This is Sarah Bae Jung of Bowdoin College. And today, and rather unusually, I am solo, so without my usual co-hosts, panel and Harvey, uh, but joined by Sarah Warner, associate professor in uh, the Department of Performing and Media Arts at Cornell University to discuss and follow up on an earlier topic that came up with our podcast with regard to Paula Vogel completing and receiving her uh, PhD in theater from Cornell. Uh, So in addition to being the Associate Professor uh, in Performing and Media Arts, Sarah is also a core member of the Feminist Gender and Sexuality Studies Program, the Lesbian, Bisexual, and Gay Studies Program, and is affiliated with Visual Studies and American Studies. She's also, as many of our listeners probably know, the award-winning author of Acts of Gayety, LGBT Performance in the Politics of Pleasure, which came out with the University of Michigan in 2012. And she publishes widely in journals and more recently in the popular press as part of an op-ed program. So thank you Sarah for joining us today. I really appreciate you being here.
2: Yeah it's very exciting thank you.
1: Yeah so this is uh, just a reminder for those of you who might not recall in the news roundup uh, in a previous episode we mentioned that Paula Vogel had recently received her PhD uh, from Cornell after having completed coursework and being AB, ABD for a number of years. Do you know how many? 40. How, 40 years ABD. This, that might be like the, a world record of some kind uh, from Cornell. But this past year, uh, she received her, her doctorate. Sarah, can you tell us how that came to be? Like, What was the impetus behind that? her finishing and receiving the degree?
2: Uh, it, it is a bit of a funny story, because when I first got the job at Cornell, um, I was looking at the alum list and talking to different folks and I learned that Paula um, had gone to school, she actually started in 1974 with David Saverin um, and Marvin Carlson and Burt States were on the faculty then along with some other folks. And um, I thought, oh, fabulous, I know David, I I see him regularly, I see Marvin regularly, but I I don't really know Paula, I've just always been a fan of her work. So I emailed her and um, asked if she would come and visit us, and I got a very polite but very firm, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not available at this time. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just keep trying. And I did that for a number of years, and then... Marvin and David took pity on me and said, you know, Sarah, I have to tell you, it's very nice that you keep inviting her, but she's not really going to come. Um, And I said, so tell me why. Uh, And they said, well, she didn't have such a fabulous experience at Cornell. Um, She, uh, when Paula entered the program, uh, women were not given fellowships. They were given teaching assistantships. So Mm. uh, men in the department were funded, women were not. And, you know, there weren't student loans in those days, and Paula was very much a working-class kid. She was actually on public assistance when she was in graduate school and would, you know, um, it, was, it was not an easy time for her. Uh, but she uh, distinguished herself quite early. She won the student playwriting competition her very first year. She also won it again her second year, and that play was expanded into the full-length uh, work called MEG, which won the Kennedy Center Award um, and that prize was renamed in 2002 the Paula Vogel Award in Playwriting. So she was very accomplished as a graduate student. It was also the time when women's studies was being formed at Cornell, and Paula was one of the first graduate student instructors uh, in what was originally called female studies. Wow. And then
1: women's studies, exactly. That is, uh, that's, that's something. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs>
2: Exactly, and so her, her dissertation was uh, built on the theories that she was helping form and help helping forge you know, this new feminist discourse, and so she wrote uh, a revisionist dissertation um, called Hiding Scenes in Restoration Comedy, where she was looking at the gender and sex and class dynamics of, of this trope in, in Restoration Theater, and uh, she was on set to produce one of the first feminist theater dissertations in the country. Um, But as fate would have it, Marvin and Bert both left, and Paula was transferred to the English department because uh, there weren't many studies folks left um, in the theater side. It was really turning into a kind of production-heavy department, Uh and the English faculty was not at all sympathetic to her project, and she was told that she would have to start on page one.
1: Oh, my God. She
2: had a completely finished dissertation. Huh. She stuck it out for a few more years, um, but it was clear that they were not going to change their mind and that um, Theater Studies was not going to hire uh, somebody who was sympathetic to that project or, or willing to work with her, and so she left with her MA in hand. She actually left in 1981, but had been finished with the coursework since and, um and that was heartbreaking for me to learn that that had happened, it had happened in my program, that that wasn't part of the institutional history that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and so instead of you know, just saying, wow, of course she's not going to come back, that really inspired me. And I said, no, we, ha- we have to make this right. This is just terrible. So I politely asked her every chance I got. It, when I had the opportunity to see her in person, I asked again, and always very polite but very firm, no. Uh, and and then um, David Saverin gave me the idea, and he said, "Well, you know, Sarah, you you could try to think out of the box a little bit." Um, she and I really loved John Waters, and we used to watch his films all the time when we were in college. Why don't you get John Waters, and maybe Paula will come back? And I really think David was telling me this, like, of course, we're not going to get John Waters. And so just, like, let it go. But I did a conference with my colleague, Nick (laughs) Salvato. I was going to say, I think
1: now I understand a little more behind uh, Resoundingly Queer. Right. Yes. Do you want to say a a moment, uh, just a couple things about Resoundingly Queer? That was a... A fabulous conference that oh, you guys you. had uh, in, in 2012, right?
2: Uh, yes, it was 2012. Um, uh, and, um, and we had John Waters was the keynote, and David Saverin was there um, as, as one of the main presenters. You know, We had a fabulous group of people. Carmelita was there, Carmelita Tropicana, Holly Hughes, Mo I remember Angelos. seeing the
1: lineup and being very, very jealous that I couldn't, it I couldn't come. It was a
2: wonderful conference, and uh, and John was there, and Paula actually said yes. That she would come, and then she then she declined uh, right before the uh, we were, you know just a month or two before the conference, and so I was of course crushed by this, and um, but but not deterred, um, and we had our sesquicentennial recently, and uh, and I wrote to Paula and said you know we are going to do the Mineola twins for uh, the uh, inaugural production of the sesquicentennial, and we would really like you to come, and she finally said yes and she came and we put on our production and and uh david saverin did a staged interview with her and they talked about what it was like to go to graduate school in the 70s what cornell was like in the 70s what the world of theater was like in the 70s um and it was a remarkable conversation and i i said it can't stop here it's just not right i mean I just think about not that she needs the money or not that money is the driving force for for any of us really but I just thought how much money has she lost in her lifetime because she didn't have that PhD in hand you know what was it like to be officially an adjunct at Yale because she didn't have a PhD right um so even though she is the you know between Paula and Irene Fornes they've taught every playwright of note in this country their their students are incredible and they are the best teachers in our profession yeah and so i thought you know this is this is just not right i mean what can we do so i contacted the graduate school to find out you know what it would take for paula to finish and and get the phd and you know i knew it i couldn't be an honorary degree because that wouldn't be right but also because we didn't we don't give honorary degrees at cornell and because all the records were on mimeograph paper and we had to dig them up from the archives. So it was really interesting to see the the files of what it, you know, what the world looked like in 1976. But she'd completed everything she needed for her coursework and and the deans assured me that uh, as long as she submitted a, a proper dissertation, uh, and she formed a new committee, and it would take paperwork, and in a minimum of one semester, we could make it happen. So I was thrilled to contact her and say, you know what, Paula, this this can happen. And she what said, was her
1: response when you when you, I mean, because it sounds like you know, from what you're saying, she had in some ways kind of written off.
2: Oh, she totally Cornell, and I totally wrote it. And
1: you, and you, and your perseverance, and I'm sure you know, inestimable charms, like wore her down, right? First with the John Waters, and and then you know with you, apparently, right? So, uh, which I think is really great. But what what was you know what was her response?
2: I think she she still didn't believe it was going to happen. I mean, I just you know it was 40 years, right? I mean. You know, and she wouldn't even set foot on campus. Her partner would come to campus to give a talk, and Paula would stay in the hotel. Like, you know, she didn't want, understandably, to to submit herself to, to that environment anymore. So I I think in the beginning, she was still, you know, humoring me. and Or maybe just surprised and was like, hey, I'm going to let this kid see where she's going to go with this. You know, like, this is fun now. So... Uh, she said, "Yeah, let's see what we can do." And she said, "I'm not using that dissertation, though. It's you know, it's in my archives at the Beinecke. I, I'm not digging that up. <laughs> Somebody can go read it in the archives, but I'm not doing that. And I really, I, I, you know, I can't write a new dissertation. What can we do?" And I said, "Well, you know, what we want is a play." Um, what are you working on right now and you know what hasn't been produced and what can we make fit the dissertation? And there were two things. Uh, Don Juan comes home from the war, this series of devised pieces that she was doing working with vets coming back from the Middle East, a, a project that was near and dear to her heart. And she had Indecent um, that uh, was still in the developmental stage. And Indecent to me was perfect in part because she read it for the first time when she was 22 years old in a graduate seminar with Marvin. And Yes, and that's where she discovered it, and she has had a lifelong affair uh, with that play, and I knew exactly who I wanted to direct a stage. We couldn't do a full production because of the contract with the Vineyard and San Diego, but we could do a stage reading, and I knew exactly who I wanted to direct it, Megan Brody, um, who is another Cornell alum, and she wrote her dissertation on lesbians on Broadway at the turn of the century. That's right. And... um, and it, it was, it, it did happen. And Paula submitted indecent. Um, and we did a staged reading. And I have to say, my administration uh, was wonderful and understood the mistake that we had made in the past and really wanted to pull out all the stops that we could uh, to make this a special occasion for Paula. and. We, uh, fortunately, uh, have a new humanities building. It's car- called Klarman Hall, and we had the inauguration and a semester-long celebration of the arts and humanities at Cornell, and, and there were two, key, uh, two marquee events uh, for that. One was a previously undiscovered uh, Baroque opera, and another was Paula Vogel. Wow! And so uh, Indecent was one of these two marquee events. We had a fabulous party at graduation. Uh, She was a degree marshal uh, at graduation, so she got to come in, you know, holding the banner and the baton, and her name was just, you know, displayed proudly uh, everywhere on campus. And it is so wonderful to have, you know, participated in that. I mean, it should have happened. It should have happened in the 1970s, and it didn't. And for me, it speaks to, I think I am really happy and I'm overjoyed that it happened, but when I when I put that just on hold for a minute, I think you know we still do this all the time. I think I think about Susan Laurie Parks, right who was not allowed to stage her dissertation or her stage her undergraduate thesis because they told her it wasn't a play right. so here's another woman who went on to win the Pulitzer Prize, you know groundbreaking uh, a performer but but her professors didn't see the value in her work and I thought. You know, how often does that happen to women, to people of color, but to, to all students, you know, uh, where where are our blinders, right, as faculty? And it made me think about, you know, the status of women in, in, in the academy, um, but also the status of women art makers. You know, it's still about 25% in a good year of women have their plays produced True. across the country. Paula has never been on Broadway. I mean, that is not the end all and be all of success. We define success in so many ways, and I don't want to privilege that as a marker. But it, there's something wrong about the fact that that hasn't happened for her yet, um, given the tremendous success she's had, given the gorgeous plays she's written.
1: Well, and 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 the number and the variety. I mean, you know, astonishing, it, it's astonishing her output. Her, astonishing. She's been incredibly prolific, and and the what you know, the intellectual depth and. The cultural relevance of what of what she's yeah. she's produced, uh, you know, for me, Baltimore Waltz will still be the yes. number one AIDS play, right, of that era, and yes. and that's not not dismissing the other fine works, yes. you know, including those that have received vastly more attention. But uh, I think there's something specific about about that work that gets overshadowed sometimes because it's not as uh, extravagant in some of its. Uh, in some of its moves. And I think that's true of a lot of Vogel's work, that there's uh, a deep theatricality that is subtle and a little bit more nuanced and and sometimes Mm -hmm. eschews the large, flashy gesture in favor of something that has a lot more resonance um, and sometimes, I think, maybe gets overlooked. It also occurs to me, as you're talking, to think about graduate education and our approach to it as this kind of, you know, grueling, weeding out period. Yes. Uh, I was just chatting with someone uh, at, we're here at the Atha conference and I was just chatting with someone who very casually said you know well grad school was awful as it always is and and then kind of moved on and, yeah. and I wonder you know as you as I mean I think what happened to, to Paula Vogel was probably more extreme in its result but probably not necessarily different than what a lot of people experienced and continue to experience. What are your you know, as you sort of think about this, what are some opportunities that we can like correct now? Like how can we sort of push, you know, our sensitivity as graduate faculty? Well,
2: I I mean, Paula becomes my inspiration and my, my point of reference for this and just to look what she created at Brown and what she's done at Yale in terms of funding artists and, and raising money and creating opportunities and, and working to translate what it is that we do as a value, as a humanistic value, as a societal value, not as simply service to another profession. Mm-hmm. But I think about, you know, look at the number of playwrights she has trained and has funded and have gone on to fabulously exciting careers on you know in the theater but also f- working for television which is a very exciting medium for women I think you know in all of these these new formats for for narrative storytelling with the cable revolution with the technology revolution but I mean you know she nurtures She's still a very prolific playwright, and she doesn't see it as, you know, sometimes we, I I will admit I'm even guilty of this, saying, uh, oh, I can't do that. I've got to get to my work right now. Mm -hmm. The truth is it's all my work. Mm -hmm. It's all our work. And there's so much pressure, and we just keep raising the bar, and I just think about, you know, what graduate students need to, or we feel they need to have in their portfolio to go on the job market when, you know look back just 30 years at what passed for first books yeah right i mean we just keep raising the bar and um we all want excellence and we all want to strive but we can't get caught up in those. We have to take a breath and a sanity check and a reality check and, um, I mean, remember what brought us here in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a corporate job where I made a whole lot more money in the 80s in California, um, which had a different kind of stress. But, I mean, you know, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I left that world because I wanted to do something that I loved. And I'm fortunate. I'm very fortunate to have that kind of job. but. But I think we have to, you know, we have to spend. I just had a wonderful conversation with Gwendolyn Alker in the in the lounge there about graduate education and graduate labor. I mean, because I think that's where this this conversation at ATha, which has been so wonderful, and I'm just so appreciative of Patty Ybarra and 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 Wendy and all of the people for staging this conversation. Um, but for me, I think it starts with graduate student labor, mm-hmm. and you know, for me. <sighs> the number of PhDs and MFAs we're producing. I don't think there's any easy answer for what, what to do with that. We don't want to close the door and not let people in, but we have to think about what we're doing and the, the debt we're incurring and you know the community we're making uh, for this. But, uh, you know, I'm so just thrilled with the graduate students I have the chance to work with. You know, we're a small program. We only admit two to three students a year, but I learned so much for them, and I just take such pleasure at watching them, you know, navigate their first I give their first papers. It's um, The mentorship is really important, and I had fabulous mentors, not not just from my dissertation committee, but the Women in Theater program, the LGBTQ focus group, performance studies. Um, I think theater does it better than other disciplines, and we could do more. I don't know if there's an easy answer to that, but, you know, when I think about... You know about Paula and how she wasn't. She didn't. It would have been so easy to become cynical or bitter or not want any part of the academy. She didn't need to teach. I mean, she was actually a working, successful playwright. But she she created the program she wanted to have and didn't have. Mm-hmm. And that for me is so inspiring to to have that wherewithal and that generosity and that amount of patience and that amount of perseverance to raise the money and continually, you know beat the street and and get the funds to support the students and to create, I mean, I, I first told a, a little bit of this story at the Ather Roundtable uh, last year at the um, triangulations panel, and, you know, um, the entire audience just erupted, and it wasn't because of what I said, it was because people were so happy that this was finally happening for Paula, um, because she so deserves it. I mean, you just, you mentioned her name, and people, f- just stop what they're doing and they beam and they have a story about how Paula touched their lives and it's just so I want to be that kind of teacher you know I have a long way to go as I'm sure my grad students would tell well, me but, uh, but as, I want to do be that of kind us, of teacher I you yeah. know um it's, it's just been such a great year to to have had the opportunity to do this before we
1: break off I'm just wondering if you would for those of you, for those of us who who haven't seen or haven't had the chance to look deeply at at indecent, to to talk a little because you saw that play also, yes, right? Yes. Can you say a little bit about about the play that you know that served as as Paula's dissertation and mm-hmm. and her last successful check mark to to uh to the PhD?
2: Yes. Um. So it's based on a 1906 play by Sholemash uh, called The God of Vengeance, um, and uh, it it features um. A lesbian love story at, at its heart, uh, which is, we you know, we tend to look back on the past and see queer lives as always tragic and always awful, but this is actually a wonderful play and a beautiful play about a lesbian love story. Um, uh, in it, it's there's a family um, uh, and a father who is married to a former prostitute, and he runs a brothel uh, beneath their home, and they have a daughter, and uh, he tries very hard to keep those worlds separate. Mm-hmm. Um, that that doesn't happen and the daughter falls in love with sort of the prized prostitute in, in the father's stable and it's um, he ends up uh, breaking up the love affair and then sending the mother and the daughter down to work in the brothel um, because she had been promised to a young scholar and um, the father purchased a Torah to make the marriage holy and this was his way of sort of buying himself respectability through this marriage of his daughter and he throws down the Torah and kicks the daughter and the wife back down to uh, to work in the brothel and it it you know it caused uh, quite a stir and gained favor in Yiddish originally written in Yiddish and it played all over Europe and then it came to the United States in the 20s um, and uh, And played first in Yiddish theaters and then in English translation at the Provincetown Players, and then they wanted to move it uptown, and uh, this is when it caused controversy because uh, some members of the Jewish community thought it was airing dirty laundry uh, and would stoke the fires of anti-Semitism and and other people thought it was too scandalous and they had would have to change the text and so what the producer Harry Weinstein did was instead of making it this beautiful love affair between a young woman and and this this older uh, sex worker uh, he made the the prostitute predatory and was preying on the young daughter as a way to steal her away from the family and then start her own brothel and by selling the virgin would come into money and then, you know, could leave the profession herself. So it, it just completely perverted what was this beautiful um, relationship between these two women. And then it did stoke the fires of anti-Semitism and it had uh, the effect that, that people feared, but would that have happened if they had left this beautiful story at the center? So what Paula does is create an incredible world where it, you know, it's a play about the making of that play, the mm-hmm. making and dissemination of that play, and it's really a love letter to the theater. It's a love letter to these courageous folks who put on this play. Um, it's a love letter to all artists um, who labor in this way and who dedicate themselves and who are willing to risk, you know, being ostracized or, uh, or worse, by doing something that they believe in, and so um, it, it sweeps across history, um, and uh, and it's one of the most astonishing plays I've ever seen, and uh, I saw it in its infancy, and then in a workshop development at um, New Haven at Yale Rep. I was supposed to go to the San Diego show where it changed even further. Unfortunately, I had surgery in the fall and couldn't do that. And then it had a run at the Vineyard, and it got remarkable reviews, and rightly so, and it was sold out and wonderful. And there's maybe a slim chance that it will get picked up and taken to Broadway or picked up and on um, the regional circuit, and so, you know, um, fingers are crossed for Paula that that happens. But... It's, it's a beautiful play. that, And I should also say that she developed it with the director, Rebecca Tashman, and she had the same cast, and this is why it was such a moving experience for her because she had the same cast for that entire developmental period and has a klezmer orchestra, and the, oh, it's there's so much talent in that room and such a beautiful story.
1: It, it strikes me that there's a, a kind of marvelous parallel between... Her going back and recovering the damage that had been done to this this play, and yeah. and kind of recovering this story, um, and also then that 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 becomes the mechanism to go back and recover and and make some kind of amends to what had happened to her at Cornell yeah. in the 1970s, and and that you know his theater doesn't ever change history, but it always is a kind of. You know living history in the moment helps us recover and, and correct and restore things that get lost in in past history so Absolutely. I think it's, it sounds like a like hardly a better play for for all of the the sort of you know aspects of of that recovery that we're engaged with it i think it's it's really wonderful and yeah. I just want to thank you for coming and sharing that story with us.
2: Thanks so much for having me. It's it's really lovely to share the story.
1: It's great. Well, we will we will post it and and stay tuned for our next episode where we continue right these conversations. Thanks a lot, Sarah.
2: Thanks, Sarah.
0: On Tap is produced with the support of the Performing Arts Department at Washington University in St. Louis and the Master's Program in Theater and Performance mm-hmm. Studies. Mary Ellen Vander Heiden produces the program. You can find us on the web at www on Facebook, search for On tap and on Twitter at ontap Podcast.